Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, uh, good morning to you all on this uh, Wednesday morning. Hope uh, around the country we're all drying out effectively. And uh, on that subject, uh, first up this morning, we'll be talking to uh, Lyndon Bray. Of course, he's the, the CEO of Tasman Rugby. They've had some issues down there with the weather. How has that uh, affected uh, their rugby and their sport in general uh, must have had uh, a sizable impact. I would, we'll find out very shortly from uh, Linda. 9.30, uh, just after that, we'll be talking to Nick O'Hearn. Now, Nick O'Hearn is a fantastic golfer in his own right, has had uh, a lot of history on uh, all golf tours around the world, uh, but he's also uh, the host of uh, SEN's Off the Tee, and there's big speculation about Cameron Smith, uh, Mark Leishman, a couple of Auss- Aussies, um, Hideki Matsuyama, uh, heading off to uh, live golf, and they would be a major impact. I, I think the world would really sit up and take notice if um, uh, Matsuyama and Smith went in particular. Uh, just after uh, 10 o'clock, uh, an old colleague and uh, a former black captain, uh, Lee Jamon, he's the CEO of New South Wales Cricket. They've uh, just uh, signed David Warner to the Sydney Thunder. How big a news is that? Uh, he hasn't been uh, around uh, the BBL for around about nine years, eight or nine years. Uh, we'll talk to uh, Hugh Bainan at around uh, 10.30 this morning. Uh, he is, of course, uh, the GM, the general manager of uh, everything in uh, New Zealand basketball, really. And, uh, of course, Tauihi um, basketball comes to its playoffs this weekend. How successful has it been and what are the prospects for these games coming up? Uh, panel will be shifted back to after 11 o'clock this morning. We'll have uh, Jamie Wall and Kimberly Downs as our panellists this morning. Around 11.45, we'll catch up with uh, Andy Thompson. Of course, so he's got the Rural Roundup show between 12 and 1 this afternoon and just to preview that one with him before we also hand over to Staff, who's got his show going as well. Right, uh, 9.05 here on SENZ and uh, we can only feel for the people that have been uh, badly affected by weather and uh, those people particularly uh, in the top of the South Island and that's where we're heading to right now as we catch up with the former international referee but now CEO of uh, the Tasman Rugby Union, Lyndon Bray. Lyndon, good morning to you. Good morning, Smithy. It's been tough, very, very tough for the people of your uh, area in particular around the West Coast too. 
Uh, just, just what kind of impact um, has it had on the region? I mean, you, you you don't even really think about sport there, or you shouldn't think about sport when other things are going on. But of course, you have to. You do have to, in a, in a perverse way. Uh, I think it's great uh, that we can actually have an event at the end of the week. And interestingly, when you look at the reaction we've had from the public over in Blenheim, um, since I've been here, we have not sold as many tickets pre-sales is what we've done for this game. So I suspect part of it is people actually looking forward uh, to Friday evening. Um, it's probably fair to say in the actual grid of the town itself, Blenheim is uh, potentially less impacted than Nelson, of course. Um, where I live, uh, up on the hill at Tahunanui, I mean, some, some of the landslides and the impact on on the facade of that hill was quite incredible like, uh, it's something that you wouldn't imagine you would see in your lifetime uh, we've got houses dangling literally uh, in a very fragile way o over the edge of, of the hill at the very top of the hill and there's still a, a very real fear that some of those houses are in real danger and you know I, I look up at those from where I live so you know I think a lot of us here in Nelson have been given that impact pretty profoundly where we live and we see it every every day we get up and you know I think what we all hope is that if we do get another deluge of rain that we don't get a repeat of those sort of slides uh, but I guess that's the risk and, and uh, that's the incredible job that all the people are doing here in terms of the clean up but following the clean up it's you know how much can you stabilise some of that land and some of the mm. hills um, but it's going to be a long job and a difficult job. Um, well, I, I guess in the weirdest thing, uh, as you say, l life goes on and, and uh, there's a positive in this uh, from the rugby point of view. So just tell us about this uh, fixture coming up uh, against Canterbury between Tasman and Canterbury. What are the plans for it? Well, look, we were determined on the weekend to go ahead. Um, we, we've been in constant communication with both the Nelson Council and the Marlborough Council, and they've both been fantastic. Uh, the Nelson Council's uh, helped us be able to actually train as a team because that, that was the first concern. Um, you know, it's simple things you, you wouldn't really consider uh, in the normal business-as-usual life, but we needed uh, some support to make sure that we had a ground that we could actually train on. Um, otherwise, we just reasonably couldn't go out there and play Canterbury at the end of the week. So... They've been very obliging um, around that. Uh, the Marlborough Council have been superb in keeping us updated. Um, they really wanted us to be able to go ahead with the game, so they've been very supportive. There's a lot of talk in Blenheim um, about the game, a lot of excitement about the fact that they've got this uh, Friday evening game. We had sold out all the marquees um, through our, our sponsors and, and other businesses who love to grab those marquees for the big events and so they were already sold out uh, a month ago and we knew that we had a, already had pre-sales that are getting the stand half, halfway to a, a full house so they've been really supportive and, uh, and the other group that I, I want to put a real thing out to is Origin Air here in Nelson so they have uh, provisioned uh, two planes and they will fly both our NPC team and our FPC team across to Blenheim, uh, get them there and get them home again. And what they've done in terms of the pricing and the support of us has been next to unreal. So, you know, to Origin Air, we're 
eternally grateful because without them, we simply would not be able to play this game. So, so uh, there's been a lot of people in the background. So, Lyndon, uh, the roading, the roading's no good either, obviously, quite clearly. No, the um, we were very hopeful with the Marlborough Council that State Highway 63 would open by Wednesday night, but that that's now not happening. So. We could have gone the long route. Uh, the the issue with that, Smithy, is that uh, you know you'd have to take two buses the long way. Uh, that requires two drivers um, legally by the, by the time that it would take. You'd have to have the teams staying, both teams staying overnight for two nights. Um, you know the cost of all of that, let alone the health and safety of the players, the welfare of the players actually playing a rugby mm-hmm. game after a ten-hour trip. We ruled that out. Uh, on Monday and said, look, that's just unreasonable for us to assume we could do that. Um, they would have had to leave extra early, um, which would have just canned their plans in terms of actually getting ready for the game. So Origin Air, uh, if we compared um, the pricing between the, the two options, we, we're no worse off. Uh, and that and that's thanks to the, the pricing that they offered us in order to, to get this done. So... You know, that's what the community does, I guess. They come together and, and they, the managing director was really keen to make sure that the Marco and the FPC Marco could carry on. That's terrific. Absolutely terrific. So, um, yeah, Origin Air, fan- fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, the other thing, of course, you, you talk about player welfare, but I, I would imagine uh, throughout the uh, FPC, the Farmer Para Cup squad and, the, uh, of course, the uh, Bunnings NPC squad, you would have uh, people whose properties uh, and that are affected themselves. So, you know, sport sometimes becomes a little bit secondary in, in that particular area. Oh, 100%. And, you know, we, um, we've we also got staff, and, of course, you know, our, our staff are, are effectively the match ops team. Uh, so we, we've got two lots of staff doing the long-haul drive, um, and mm. we're making sure that we do that carefully. We've already had a couple leave uh, where we can. We're splitting that trip. You know, they've got trailers with gear. So, you know, there's all the logistics in the background that actually allows an event to happen. Um, so, you know, a couple of those staff have had some real logistical issues with their houses, uh, a little bit of flooding. Um, but we, we have been incredibly lucky, I've got to say, across our group. Um, so... Absolutely, you would give those teams the opportunity to withdraw, um, but everybody, you know, by Sunday there was absolutely no uh, question that we wanted to play. The issue then was just the logistics around could we make it happen, uh, and that's that's been a 48-hour um, major issue for all of us to, to get our heads around how do we make this work. But fortunately, by 5 o'clock last night, it was all locked in, and, and the players are really wanting to play. Uh, obviously, for the Marco, uh, this is a really key game for us in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the, the coaches and the players feel like they are incredibly close to really clicking and, and putting one whole game together where you know we could really put someone away. So, fingers crossed that that happens in Blenheim. And I think, uh, especially for, for us as a union, what we're very proud of is our FBC Marco team who have who had two back-to-back wins and earned a home quarter-final. And if you had a look at what happened last year and you look what Mel Bosman and, and Billy Guyton have done with their high-performance program and, and the athletes that we now have in that team, uh, I think what they've done has been incredible. And we're, 
we really wanted to make sure that they could put their best foot forward in the home quarter, and I think they'll get a pretty big crowd in Blenheim on Saturday. Uh, Lyndon, let's, well, let's focus on uh, Farmer, Farmer Power Cup because, as you say, it's, it's been a, a pretty damn good year. What about the strength of, of uh, women's rugby, secondary school girls' rugby, etc.? Are you finding that's growing, uh, as, a, as we are told, throughout the country? Uh, it's been a challenge and a battle. Uh, we, we actually got some good news the other day that uh, a couple of the colleges who have been combining in order to have a team uh, have made an a executive decision for next year that they're going to have their own teams. They now feel like they've, they've built the numbers within their own college to do so. So we've got a real opportunity to hit some of those targets we would love to hit. You know, having six six, and then eight, eight teams is our goal in the under-15s, the under-18s, and then into Tasman Trophy, the senior competition. So uh, we've got some, some good news happening in that space. We're, we're also going... Uh, shortly to advertise for a, a person who will be responsible for all youth rugby in our region. Um, so we're putting a huge target on that, uh, that area of our game. Um, so, you know, we've, we've got work to do in that space. We've, we've acknowledged that since COVID. Um, we've really needed to, to build our resources in, in that space. Uh, but the encouraging news is we, we are certainly getting more females playing uh as they leave junior rugby and then entering into high school, because that's really been the challenge. Uh, as, as you get to high school, and same with boys, you know, your your body growing into being an adult, um, and during that transition, do you want to continue to play in a game that is highly physical? Um, we all acknowledge that. So I think it, it's good to see uh, that we've got numbers growing, and one of the initiatives that we've had here is a youth advisory group, and they've been quite uh, pivotal in conversations with schools and building the incentive to actually have more teams. And then our challenge is to build the coaching resource because I think the next step is you've got to have good coaches uh, in order for those teams to prosper and for the, the girls and the boys at that age to have a good experience. So, mm. you know, the, we had a huge strategy meeting last week where, where we talked about, you know, how do we, off the back of Silver Lake and... Hopefully, a um, a growing commercial revenue again, and we want to commercialise our FBC Marco jersey and our team in a, in a bigger way than we've done in the past. And I think the time is right, Smithy, and I, I think people really acknowledge uh, the need for us to grow our female sport in this country. And I, I think we're on that tipping point of being able to invest in the game and see the commercial reality of, of what can happen in that space. We're going to get a good gauge on that too, Lyndon, uh, very shortly because of um, the Rugby World Cup coming to New Zealand. But unfortunately, um, it's advertised that it's coming to New Zealand, but it's not really. And I, I, I can't help but think uh, there's a missed opportunity here because uh, of the restricted venues they've got, both in uh, Northland and, of course, Auckland, when there's so much development and there's so much interest throughout the rest of the country now. You're probably in a delicate position. You don't want to go over the top about it. But, but to me, it's a lost opportunity. Yeah, and look, I think we can all look back on that in hindsight and, and reflect on what, what would have been the best call. I mean, I guess commercially uh, and logistically, it makes sense. We, we all understand that. 
Um, but I, I tend to agree from a philosophical point of view, it would have been fantastic to have had the odd game in, in the regional area, you know, such as Nelson or Blenheim or wherever it might be. Uh, get them under the, the roof in Forsyth Bar and support the, the Otago uh, you know, growth in the female game. I think they've had some really good wins in that space. It, it would have been great to have a physical presence. Um, I, I get the challenges that come with that, um, both from a financial point of view. Um, you, you're weighing up, I guess, that, that sensitive balance of you know, how much commercial revenue will you actually be able to realise versus how much that tournament actually costs. Um, what I would hope, what you're saying, I think we would all agree with, and what we would hope is that in the future, this tournament will be the catalyst to prove that, in fact, the game is commercially sound for the future uh, and that mm. we can build that revenue that allows us to um, expose those teams to a, a far greater audience, and, and that would be tremendous. Uh, Lyndon, uh, you, you mentioned before about uh, getting permission from uh, the council to be able to uh, to train as such. And uh, do they? Uh, uh, what are the actual sports facilities? How impacted? I mean, like Saxton Oval, uh, which is out flat and doesn't have uh, too many hills, or fair enough away. Like, we know that has Saxton sports field as such is a wonderful facility. What about the facilities in Auckland? How? how uh, sorry, in Nelson, how badly have they been hurt? Uh, I, I think it's fair to say most of the grounds are um, in pretty good nick. Uh, they, they haven't been ravaged um, by other than the rain itself, obviously. Um, but mm. the, the grounds have held up pretty well. The, the issue for the council, understandably, is that a lot of their staff, the ground staff, etc., are also part of the NELMAC team that looks after civil defence. Um, so that you know they're out doing a lot of clean-up around the city. So... They can't prepare grounds. They can't go there and mow them and uh, do the line marking, etc. So, uh, and the and the wider issue for the council, which we fully support, is that you know had, had we brought the game back to Trafalgar Park, we're in a state of emergency. The town grid only had one route in, into the city. You can't bring four or five thousand people uh, in their cars into Nelson for a rugby game. You know that it, it's the infrastructure that is the problem. So. Mm. Yes, the ground could hold it. Uh, the ground looks fantastic out here, but uh, you, you can't expect the council to provide the staff and, and provision uh, the, the infrastructure for us to be able to have an event. So Blenheim was the only choice in this scenario uh, to, to relieve the pressure on Nelson City. And, you know, it was, it was great this morning. I came down the hill and was able to drive around Rocks Road uh, State Highway 6 around the waterfront. I mean, that's the first time mm. uh, in a week that I've been able to do that. And it's it's only one lane, it's only one way, but it's a, a sign of how much work they've already done. Um, and, you know, that will relieve a lot of the pressure coming into the city every morning and leaving every night. What's the forecast? Is the long-term forecast pretty good or sparing? Uh, well, we've got a beautiful day today. Uh, typical Nelson day. Um, we are expecting more rain Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, mm. I don't think it's heavy, thank goodness, but um, yeah, we've had a couple of good stable days, which is quite nice for everyone's peace of mind. Um, gives you a bit of a positive mindset for a change. So, uh, look, I, and all I can say is I, I think the, the council and the, the uh, civil defence and the staff who are um, manning all those roads and doing all the clean-up are 
incredible job, Smithy. And I mean, it, it's difficult to put into words how to, to to set the scene for that. But you know, there's just when you drive and you look in, in different areas of the roads, like there's just mess everywhere. So, uh, but they're doing an incredible job to get the, the city back to a, some sense of normality. Lyndon Bray, thank you so much uh, for uh, updating us, really. I, I had no idea in terms of, uh, of that. I've seen pictures on the telly, of course, but you're, you're uh, Johnny on the spot, so you've given us a, a much better insight into it. Uh, all the best with uh, this game coming up uh, in Blenheim, and, and congratulations, too, on, on making it happen. Uh, we feel for you people down there, and, of course, uh, sport is a great thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a great thing of, of helping people out of things. So uh, well done. Thank you for your time. And if you want to help, beafanatic.nz, you can sign up and uh, that'll help the union and the community. Okay, we'll do that. Thank you very much, Lyndon Bray. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Smithy. Cheers. Uh, Lyndon Bray there, of course, uh, CEO of uh, Tasman Rugby. Highly respected uh, former uh, international referee. Has a, had a number of uh, positions within rugby. Man going places, of course. But at the moment, uh, Nelson is uh, travelling very slowly and very carefully. Um, and uh, the good news is that rugby will proceed, uh, and that'll be on Friday. And that will be uh, two fantastic games, NPC uh, and Farah Palmer Cup. And congratulations to Tasman for able to get through this and uh, all of this for the weekend. It's 9.23 here on SENZ. Well, it's uh, coming up to 9.29 here on SENZ. Yes, fascinating, actually, if uh, you can uh, help out um, uh, Lyndon Bray and uh, Tasman Rugby or uh, Nelson Sport in particular, if you can find a way to help. And what a great uh, gesture from Origin Air there to fly both teams, uh, FPC team and the uh, MPC team, uh, over to Blenheim and back. Uh, just uh, an unbelievable gesture. But Nelson is a community like that. Um, you know, it is a magnificent city. It is uh, the sunshine city, really, and the beautiful beaches. But uh, it is, uh, of course, also open to nature, as they've found out in the last uh, fortnight or so. It's just been devastating. Uh, so congratulations to uh, all those people down there getting things uh, back up and running. New Zealanders are very, very capable people. Uh, good news for hockey, actually, uh, and it, it needs some good news because uh, they have uh, obviously, throughout the Commonwealth Games, been, I would imagine, uh, underachievers by their own high standards. Uh, but the good news is uh, we're getting some uh, hockey back in New Zealand after COVID, etc., and uh, the absence of, of international hockey. We've been able to play Australia, uh, but uh, we're now going to be able to play China and the United States. And that's uh, when the Black Sticks women between uh, February 18th and 26th next year. And then in late April, um, uh, Christchurch's Napunawai will be the venue for both Black Sticks sides as they face Australia and Great Britain. Uh, from April the 22nd to the 30th, and that concludes an Anzac Day doubleheader. So great news for getting uh, international hockey, too, back in New Zealand. It is 9.30. Looking forward to talking to uh, my next guest, Nick O'Hearn, former PGA professional, successful golfer, uh, and now a host of uh, SEN's uh, Teared Up show in Australia. Talk to Nick very shortly, but in the meantime, here's Araha with the 9.30 news. 9.32 here in New Zealand. It's uh, slightly earlier in Australia and that's why we're ever so grateful that our next guest has uh, spent some time for us this morning. Uh, we're going to be talking now to uh, Nick O'Hearn. Now, golf fans will know exactly who Nick O'Hearn is. Uh, a very, very successful professional uh, on the European Tour, now known as the DP Tour, of course, the PGA. Played in all four majors, six professional wins, including uh, the Australian PGA. Had a highest ranking of 16 in the world back in uh, 2007. And is 
the only man in history to beat Tiger Woods twice in match play. Um, that's pretty impressive, folks, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. He's also the host, actually, of SEN's Off the Tee as well uh, in Australia. Uh, Nick, uh, thank you very much for your time. I'm honoured to speak to you. Ah, good morning, Smithy. Great to have a chat. Um, Nick, obviously the the subject we we are going to talk about is uh, not one that um, is actually fantastic for golf at the moment. This is the split between uh, authority, I guess you'd call it, and uh, live golf, and it could be even more highlighted um, in around about uh, four or five days' time when the Tour Championship is over and more announcements come involving perhaps some Australians, yeah? It seems that way, yeah. I, I heard uh, after the Tour Championship, seven players... Uh, who you know have, have all played that first FedEx Cup event are all going to uh, head across to live. That's what it, that's that's the rumours going around, and obviously Cam Smith is the main one. Mark Leishman's another name thrown in there. Um, one the one of the big ones was uh, Hideki Matsuyama. However, I'm also hearing that he's not going anymore. So you know it's funny all this uh, rumour mill that's going around and everything. But you're right, golf is certainly divided at the moment, and we're in for a bit of a tumultuous time in the next few months. That's for sure. Of course, I've uh, timed this announcement, which would enable those that are going to still be able to meet their PGA commitments, which, of course, is the Tour Championship this weekend. Cameron Smith, uh, who uh, the golfing world uh, have liked anyway, but fell in love with after his uh, recent major win. Uh, what about this kid? I mean, you know, the world is at his feet uh, in terms of golf. Um, how do you feel about this? Uh, you'd know him. You'd know him well, I would imagine. Yeah, I know Cam. I've had a little bit to do with him over the years, but it's an interesting one. Um, you know, when he won the Players' Championship, I guess, when was that, back in May, and then won the Open Championship, obviously it was an amazing win at St Andrews, and the press conferences going around after that, you know, how he really didn't commit one way or the other, so you sort of had an inkling, oh, okay, this guy looks like he's probably going. I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I'd love to see him stay and play the PGA Tour and create more history over the next 10 to 15 years, but I guess, uh, you know, money does talk and, and everyone has their number and everyone's... And, and I can understand the guys that have gone. I mean, it's, you know, when they're throwing these sorts of figures around, uh, there's obviously a lot of discussion around where the money's coming from and things like that. But he uh, he's one I'd be a little disappointed if he did go, to be honest, because, you know, he can create a legacy and become one of Australia's greatest ever golfers, I think. In his favour, he's mm -hmm. going to be playing all the majors for the next five years, but... You know, there's a lot of other history to be made as well. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a tough one to swallow, that one, if, if he does go. And it's also going to weaken the President's Cup team, that's for sure. He's our best player. Yeah, well, that was the other thing I was going to bring up because uh, straight away, that's him out of that. That's uh, possibly Mark Leishman out of that. Um, let's hope uh, Matsuyama does not go because all of a sudden, um, you know, for Trevor Immelman, he's got big issues to try and compete. Yeah, he certainly has. Um, you know, he's got four captain's picks, so he does has have plenty of players to choose from. But when you when two of your best players go, they were automatic selections. That's a huge that's a huge kick in the gut. So it's going to be some tough selections if they do go. Um, you know, and Matsuyama, that's an interesting one. If he does go, well, they've basically cornered the Asian market, and that's why they're throwing all this money at Matsuyama. I've heard rumours of around four hundred million US that they're trying to lure him away with i mean that is big big money but uh, again i've heard he's committed again to the pga tour so uh time will tell and you know this, this is all going to end up in the law courts obviously the interesting thing or i guess the one thing about that antitrust lawsuit is they set a date for early january 2024 so that's 16 months away so all the players that have gone 
they can't play PGA Tour events until then. So all their world rankings are going to go down because they're not getting any world ranking points. They'll probably have to go play other events, maybe in Asia and things like that. But again, there'll be weaker fields and none of those guys will be left in the top 50 in the world by then. So uh, it's going to put an interesting question mark on the world ranking. Well, that is the key to it, isn't it? The the, the world ranking system. And, and how soon do you... Th- is it going to be that long before they sort out uh, whether these uh, tournaments are going to go towards world rankings? I mean, because that is the key to entry into uh, so many events. It is, yeah, for sure. And and it's a long process. I mean, that's the funny thing. You know, Greg Norman and, and the Live Tour, they did uh, apply for world ranking points recently. Uh, but the process takes a minimum of 12 months, sometimes even two years. So... You know, the, what's not in their favour is 54 holes instead of 72 holes, uh, limited field, mm-hmm. there is no cut, and those two things are, are, are basically crucial for world ranking points. So they're going to have to change their format, I would say, to maybe 72 holes, have some sort of a cut if that's going to happen, but that's completely opposite of the model that they want. So um, it's going to be a tough road ahead for, for the Live Tour to, you know, to, to get those points, but um, who knows? Um, there might be some brown paper per bags involved. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine there will be uh, quite big bags as well. Um, which brings me to uh, to Greg Norman. Of course, um, Greg Norman is a person that uh, you know quite a lot about. Um, you know, uh, is, what is this for Greg? I mean, my understanding is he's quite a wealthy man. So is, it, is this pocket-driven? Is it ego-driven? Is it resentment-driven to the PGA? Is it a, a combination of all three here? It, it could be a combination, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, look, I've I've known Greg for a long, long time. I, only only through playing golf with him, I don't really know him on a personal level. You know, back in the '90s, obviously, he wanted to start this tour, uh, some sort of a world golf tour. He got all the best players in the world together. I think it, you know, Freddie Couples came out with some interesting comments, I guess, uh, a few weeks ago, where saying, "Well, look, really, no one really liked him back then out on tour." So. I'm not sure he's well respected amongst his peers. I mean, he's obviously got two major championships to his name and, you know, so many world uh, golf championships that he's won around the world and number one for 331 weeks of the year, which is an incredible record. But, um, you know, he has, I'd say, got a bit of a grudge against the tour and and Greg does have a nice-sized ego, you know, from if you look at a lot of the social media pics and things like that. So he's, uh, he's quite a character and, um, you know, it's... Uh, it would be interesting to see how this would have gone if they had someone else at the helm as opposed to Greg Norman running the live tour. So, um, but I don't see him going anywhere. Obviously, as you mentioned, he has got plenty of money um, and now he's got even more uh, fronting the Saudi league. So uh, mm. we'll see how this all plays out. So PGA of Australia's stance on all this now? Well, they haven't uh, said anything one way or the other, I believe. Um, again, we've got an interesting thing at the end of the year because we've got uh, a couple of co-sanctioned events with the DP World Tour, European Tour. Now, they are still letting the uh, live players play. I mean, we saw Ian Poulter play the Czech Masters uh, last week, so those players still are allowed to play the DP World Tour. So it'll be interesting to see if any of those players do play like the uh, the Australian PGA, which is a co-sanctioned event. I mean, Cameron Smith, he goes. He's, he's one that we're hoping that will come down and play all these events. So, um, yeah, the, the, the Australasian Tour has uh, some decisions to make coming up, and uh, obviously they have a good alliance with, with the DP World Tour and the PGA, and the PGA Tour in the US, so I can't see them uh, doing anything different but supporting them. So why is uh, Asia not uh, aligned with these uh, particular bodies, and why are they... Why are they the one that uh, it seems to be that Live Golf are looking to get alongside in a strong way? 
Well, a little while ago, uh, the the uh, you know Saudi royal family and the Live Golf Tour and all that they uh, invested something like three to four hundred million dollars into the Asian Tour, creating an international series. So it's almost a bit of a feeder, I guess you could say, into the Live Golf event. So. You know, the Asian Tour is separate to themselves. Um, they haven't really had much to do with us here in Australia or, or a little bit to do with Europe and, and the odd event with the PGA Tour. But, you know, when all this money came their way, they've uh, aligned themselves with, with Liv. And, and that's where a lot of these players will be going to play to try and get world ranking points. We saw Patrick Reed mm. uh, a couple of weeks ago go play an event there in Asia. The interesting thing is a lot of the Liv players, one of the reasons they said they were going was because they wanted to play less and now all of a sudden they're searching for tournaments to play where they can get world mm. ranking points so it's pretty hypocritical and we all know why they went they went for the money we mm. we, we know that yeah. and you know it's it's their decision and their choice and they're being well compensated for it that's for sure one of the good stories uh in the, the pga in the last fortnight has been uh, one of your own and adam scott it's not very easy once you get to uh to uh, this playoff stage uh, to make your way up the, the field in terms of trying to get to the Tour Championship. He's managed to do it two weeks in a, uh, uh, two weeks in a, row, a row with some remarkable golf. He has, yeah. I mean, every time I watch Scotty, uh, when you watch him swing the golf club, you think, how does this guy ever play badly? <laughs> it's one of the mm, best yeah. swings on tour, obviously. And, and he's, his putting this year has been pretty impressive. And, and that up and down on the last hole, I mean, he knew he had to get that up and down out of the bunker on the last to get into the Tour Championship and he hit probably the best bunker shot he's hit all year and, and what an effort it's been to, to force his way in there. Unfortunately, the other couple of players uh, in Leishman, I think Herbert and uh, Cam Davis, didn't make it through. But uh, we've got two Aussies in there, Cam Smith and Adam Scott. Looking forward to them. And yeah, From a New Zealand, New Zealand standpoint, I think for you guys, uh, I've, I've been so impressed with Ryan Fox and the way he's played on the DP World Tour this year. He's just uh, getting better and better every every season. Kind of hoping that uh, he might come into contention for Trevor Immelman at some point. Uh, Nick, but what a, uh, let's talk about uh, Nick Ahern, if we can, please, because uh, as I mentioned, um, how the hell do you beat Tiger Woods not once but twice in match play? I mean, you must be mentally very tough uh, to be able to do that. Great memories, great memories for you, sir. Oh, it was great memories, yeah, but I always tell people I found his weakness. He doesn't like short-hitting left-handed Australians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's what he's so far in front of him. You, 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 you know, you have to basically play catch up. But uh, m that must have been, uh, I mean, amongst the other things you've achieved in golf, uh, that's something to hold on to, Nick. Yeah, well, um, you know, as, as uh, people tell me, no one's ever done it. Uh, the two and O record against him, which was pretty cool. I mean, at the time, I didn't think, uh, especially after the first match, it was such a big deal because I had to go out and play in the afternoon again. But the second time was a real challenge because. He was number one in the world, obviously, still uh, at that point. And he was trying to break Byron Nelson's record of 11 tournaments in a row. And he'd won seven in a row going into the match play uh, up until that point. So, you know, none of the crowd wanted me to win. And, and to get past him in that second match was really pretty special. And, and uh, yeah, it's something to cherish for the rest of my life. And I'll be telling the grandkids that one day for sure. Uh, Nick, the other thing that comes into mind is, uh, is Nick Ahern these days uh, for me because uh, we've had our very own uh, Stephen Alka just um, once he turned uh, 50. Uh, just absolutely life has changed, his golfing life has changed, his world has changed uh, with his success on uh, the Champions Tour. You've just turned 50 in October last year. What about Nick Ahern in golf these days? Oh, I, I don't really play that much anymore. I've moved more into the TV commentary role and uh, more into the media. Um, just wrote my second book, How to Play Your Best Golf. So I'm sort of helping golfers. I've come full circle in that regard. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've actually been thinking about it since I turned 50. 
I might go play on the uh, Legends Tour a little bit next year in Europe. Uh, I'm exempt over there, but not in the US. That's a tough road to get on the Champions Tour. And, and what Steve's done is just amazing, especially how he did it through Monday qualifying and then top tenning and, and continuing to go on. And, and I tell you what, I reckon Trevor Immelman might, might want to look at him as a captain's pick because he's playing some amazing golf. Well, I can tell you, uh, we'd be very interested if we've got any New Zealanders uh, involved. Uh, Quail Hollow, of course, it's not that far away. Uh, Nick O'Hearn, it's been an honour to talk to you. Uh, thank you very much for your insight onto uh, Live Golf. It's, uh, what it, whatever happens, Ella, it's, it's been a pretty, pretty ugly episode in, in golf, and let's hope it can be sorted out. Golf's too good for that. Uh, thanks for your time, mate. We appreciate it. No problem. Great chatting. Yeah, cheers. Nick O'Hearn there uh, from uh, Australia. He is the host of SCN, SCN's uh, Off the Tee as well. Nick O'Hearn, if you can get onto that podcast. Um, of course, what a golfer. Uh, on what a record beating Tiger Woods twice and match play. We'll take a break while I stop and think about that, I think. We'll be talking to uh, Lee Jamon um, after uh, 10 o'clock now. Uh, remember Lee Jamon, a former New Zealand uh, captain, wicketkeeper batsman, of course. Uh, it's been um, around the traps in cricket administration, sport administration, uh, and now he finds himself as the uh, CEO uh, over there at uh, New South Wales Cricket, which is uh, quite a big gig because uh, half the Australian cricket team, men and women, of course, come out of the New South Wales state. So uh, he's got a lot on there. And the announcement that they've uh, just had uh, in the last uh, day or so is that uh, David Warner will end his hiatus out of the BBL uh, and get across to uh, to play for the Sydney Thunder. Um, so that, that's a big coup. It's a really big coup because at the same time, uh, the UAE League is trying to draft players in. So Australia are going to have to be very aggressive now because we know what money is uh, worth in the UAE. Uh, they spend it like um, whatever um, because they can and because it's endless. Uh, and so uh, how do you compete with that and how do you hold on to your best players, etc.? Now, Trent Bolt, of course, is a classic example. Trent Bolt is uh, a now a BBL candidate um, and he's also, of course, a UAE league candidate as well as other leagues around the world, the IPL around the world. So uh, they're in a situation now where they're going to have to be a good deal more competitive, uh, the Australian administrators, uh, because of that. Uh, an interesting uh, text coming in. Uh, Smithy, have you heard that NZC, uh, New Zealand Cricket and CD Cricket have given New Zealand Council a year to get Pukakura Park up to date or they'll stop playing cricket year? Uh, horse, we have. Um, we've been working on that, actually, and uh, hopefully tomorrow we'll speak to one of the parties involved there and trying to get it revamped or, or, or get uh, a def definitive that they're going to actually try and, and get it rebuilt because... It is such a magnificent stadium. It is small. Yeah, of course it's small. Um, but uh, there are cricket grounds around the world with all their little idiosyncrasies. For, you know, for goodness sake, there's a, a tree in the middle of the ground at, uh, uh, at Canterbury uh, where, where Kent play, where that's their home base. There's a damn tree in the middle of the ground. Everything's unique. Okay, it's a little bit small, so the bowlers cop it from time to time. Then they get on bigger grounds and green pitches, they have their way. So it's, a, it's about balances. Uh, it's an outdoor sport as such. So... For international, uh, there are international requirements, there are regulations on the size of boundaries for having a bare minimum, and so they have to be careful there. Uh, but certainly uh, Pukakura Park, for me, sentimentally, has to stay. We'll try and work on that uh, throughout the remainder of the week. It's 9.53 here on SCNZ when we come back. A multi. you got to know when the holder, know when the folder, Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away, and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
Well, I got one up yesterday. The Cards beat the Cubs. Uh, Jason Kubler beat uh, Sunwon Kwan. And Ben Fika this morning uh, easily beat Dinamo Kiev. So we got 3.55 for that one yesterday. Uh, today, the Tampa Rays uh, to beat the uh, LA Angels. Uh, that is in Major League Baseball, of course. Uh, Wellington Olympic to beat Miramar Rangers tonight in local football. That's $1.95, uh, local derby there. And uh, in the uh, US Open women's qualifiers for the tennis, uh, Heather Watson from the, U- the UK to beat Marina Melnikova at $1.43. So Tampa Bay, Wellington Olympic, Heather Watson, um, and that will get us back $4.24. Small fish are sweet, very sweet. Uh, we shall be talking uh, cricket after the break and then uh, basketball later in the next hour as well when we catch up with uh, Hugh Bain on, uh, General Manager of Basketball in New Zealand, basically. Back shortly, here's Aroha. Well, it's 10.03 uh, New Zealand time, and for the second time in a short space of time, we're going to head across to Tasman, where we're going to catch up with a man who really does need not uh, a lot of introduction to New Zealand sports fans, but uh, I will anyway, because uh, he's been a former New Zealand captain, of course, at cricket. Uh, but uh, in terms of uh, post-cricketing life, uh, he has been a CEO of mainland soccer, Tasman Rugby, Canterbury Cricket, the Sydney Thunder, and now New South Wales cricket. I'm talking, of course, of Lee Jamon, a former wicketkeeper batsman as well. Lee, good morning to you. Thanks for your time, mate. Morning, Ian. It's nice to chat to you. Yeah, nice to, to catch up with you too, uh, mate. And of course, in your current role uh, with our uh, New South Wales cricket and, of course, around the BBL, etc., you've had some, uh, some very exciting news regarding David Warner in the last day or so. Well, it has been good, Smithy, to be able to finally announced that David Warner is, is going to play in the Big Bash this year. It's certainly been one of our challenges to get the best players, the best Australian players playing in um, yeah, the competition. So great news. OK, so uh, he's been out of it. I didn't realise it, it had been that long. Nine years. So why has he decided to come back to it? I think a number of reasons. I think he's uh, nearing the end of his, you know, his career. Um, he's got a young family who I think have always wanted to see him play more locally and domestically. Uh, we're nearing the end of a media rights deal here in Australia. Um, and I think it's important that he plays to lift the value of the Big Bash. And he sees an opportunity to provide an opportunity for players beyond him. So I think a number of things are sort of aligned smoothly to get David back into the fold. Is he an easy guy to deal with? I mean, you know, to be honest, uh, Lee, sitting back from the New Zealand side of things, we, we kind of assume that David Warner's a bit of a difficult character. He sort of rubs people up the wrong way, has done over a, a, a fair period of time. But what about a bloke to deal with? How do those negotiations go? He's been very good, and I think this is... Um, it reminds me of Shane Watson a bit. Um, <laughs> I always remember my son... Um, Shane Watson was probably my son's most disliked cricketer because he always uh, reviewed every decision when he was given out on the field and, and seemed to play uh, without enjoying it a lot until my son had the opportunity to speak to Shane for about half an hour and realise he's actually a very good guy. So I think David Warner is in a similar camp. Yes, he's obviously um, let himself down majorly over the last couple of years with the sandpaper gate. Um, we all make mistakes. But he is a family man, and he's been um, you know, very forthcoming in terms of wanting to play this year. He's been easy for us to deal with, and um, you know, I think, like a lot of top sports people, can sometimes be 
you know, sort of a, a, a little misrepresented. So, no, he, he's been great to deal with. Because of uh, his involvement in Sandpaper Gate, as, as you labelled it, of course, he has been denied any official leadership type capacity by Cricket Australia. Um, do, do you see that changing? Or would you be interested in leadership of the Thunder, etc., or maybe New South Wales at some point for David Warner? Well, he's definitely a leader. The, the current situation uh, is that the leadership ban is still in place from Cricket Australia. And over the last couple of days, Cricket Australia board have signalled that they're prepared to sit down and meet with David and talk to him, um, probably specifically about that, that issue. Uh, Trevor Bayliss is the coach of our Sydney Thunder team. Um, him and David have a very good relationship. I know he sees David as a, as a real leader. Um, Sydney Thunder also have a couple of really good young captains, Jason Sanger and Chris Green. Um, so he'd definitely be an option, Smithy, if he was if he was sort of in the mix. But at the moment, we can't consider him because of that ban. Well, Lee, uh, obviously the, the BBL is uh, the big ticket item during this particular cricketing period of the year. But now, of course, uh, the UAE League have announced um, uh, that they're going to be very much in the market from January onwards, I think January to mid-February. Uh, so how how do you have now have to change from your point of view, putting franchises together, etc.? How aggressive now do you have to be with the UAE floating around? Yeah, it's not only the UAE. We're seeing a rapidly changing cricket global landscape. And I think within the space of nine months, we're going to see nine or ten international or global T20 leagues, many of whom will have IPL backing or representation. Um, so I think we've seen, in some ways, a tipping point for our game and our sport. Um, in terms of going up against the UAE, we also, from a big bash perspective, are going up against the South African League that has pretty significant private backing. The UAE mm. is, um, I think, four of the six clubs are owned by IPL clubs. One is owned by the Glazer family, who own Manchester United and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, so, so this year, the David Warner deal is an example, really, where you know, this year we've had to really change the way in which we've gone about our contracting of players to make it attractive. So you'll see we've got a draft for the very first time happening this weekend. We've got international players who have made themselves available for half the competition but are getting paid twice as much as last year. So it's a very competitive landscape and one that I think is not sustainable, Smithy, both internationally and domestically. Okay then, Lee. Uh, so can, uh, for those of us who um, are uninitiated, can you explain uh, how this draft is going to work first up and can you also tell us a, a wee bit about a salary cap uh, type structure around a franchise like the Thunder? Yeah, sure. Um, let, let me start with the, the salary cap. So the salary cap for each of the big best clubs is eight big best clubs. Cricket New South Wales essentially owns a licence to two of them, Sydney Thunder and Sydney Sixers, which have to operate separately, although they're under our banner. Um, the salary cap is uh, around about $2 million, and from a male perspective, we need to sign 18 players um, in, in that $2 million mix. What's happened this year is that uh, Cricket Australia have come to the party and topped up um, a number of what they're calling key international players. So we will have to pay some of it out of our salary cap, but Cricket Australia will top it up. And that's why you see there's about a 1,000 platinum players that will be guaranteed $340,000, no matter how many games they play in the Big Bash. They could play two if a club decides they're that important, or it's a couple of them that are here for the whole season. So from the club's or franchise's perspective, we need to manage that salary cap in that way. 
Um, and then um, from um, in terms of the draft, which is happening this weekend, international players have put themselves forward. There's over 300 international players put themselves into the draft. There was a lottery to decide which big, which order the big bash clubs were uh, picked from. Um, I think the Sydney Sixers are fourth and the Sydney Thunder are seventh. Uh, and you get a pick of those players. So if you're number one pick, I think it, Stars will be number one because they finished last last year. Um, they they get to choose. They have the first, first choice, a bit like the NPA, uh, sorry, NBA draft. They get the first choice. And then we work our way through. Um, and there are platinum, gold and silver at different levels of uh, remuneration for the players. And a uh, club can choose up to three international players. So that essentially is how it's going to work. You also certainly have a matching opportunity. So for the Thunder, someone like Alex Hales, sorry, Sam Billings, who's in the platinum list, mm. he might he might be um, picked up by another club for $340,000. But Sydney Thunder have the right to then match that. If they want Sam Billings, they'll choose Sam Billings and he'll go to, Sam, uh, he'll go to Thunder instead of the original club. Lee, you mentioned the figure of $2 million, and a lot of people will say, wow, $2 million, and I go across to IPL money, and I think, good God, didn't Kyle Jamieson get more than that by himself? Do you think that, that you know, and I just logistically think to myself, uh, are you going to have to lift that at some point to remain competitive? Absolutely. <laughs> and um, you're dead right. I mean, $2 million, one player's getting that in the IPL. Um, the average salary for a big bash cricketer is is probably 140,000, 150, which you know I know certainly many people look at and say, well, it's for what eight weeks, ten weeks, that's pretty good. Mm. But comparatively around the world, it's it's not. Um, and that's why there's a lot of talk at the moment here around um, whether there's a place for private equity in the Australian game. How do we raise the player payments, not only for international cricketers but domestic cricketers, to get our best players? playing Big Bash and to ensure that the Big Bash retains its relevancy. It's still the highest per match viewed sports league in Australia, but it's struggling to compete on the international stage with other cricket competitions. Well, the other thing uh, that you've got to consider too, uh, within, within New South Wales, I mean, you've, you've got a side that could uh, basically at full strength, uh, both men and women, actually take on the world in their, in their own uh, entity. You're that damn powerful, but... Uh, of course, these guys have got to rest. They've got to have uh, uh, they've got to have some downtime, some family time. That is part and parcel of the deal these days, uh, Lisa. How do you manufacture someone like a Stark, uh, someone like a, a Pat Cummins, a Hazelwood? These guys who are so bigger assets to you in terms of uh, drawing fans as well. Yeah, that's a very good question. So this year in the Big Bash, yeah, I, I met with Pat Cummins yesterday around this um, specific topic. This year in the Big Bash. It's unlikely we're going to see Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood, Josh Hazelwood being currently the number one T20 bowler in the world, um, play in the Big Bash because of their international workload. Um, and, and a lot of people say, oh, yes, but they'll, they won't rest from IPL. Well, in actual fact, Mitchell Stark, I don't think, has played IPL for the last two or three years and has probably turned down a lot of money um, to do that. So it, it is a balancing act, and that's why I just don't think it's sustainable, Smithy, in terms of packed future tours program from an international perspective and the money making opportunities that players are having in T20 leagues and if we don't move, I think the players will start out more and more from certain things, whether it's some international cricket, and we certainly don't want to jeopardise test cricket um, or from playing um, in some of these T20 leagues 
Well, without Mitchell Stark, I, I guess you might need a left armour. And there's a fellow by the name of Trent Bolt in the market now. Any any inklings there? A lot of interest when Trent's name came off the list. Uh, a lot of interest from our uh, particular list managers. So we have list managers for each club. Um, Lisa Stalaker, actually, who you'll probably know pretty well, is the list manager for the Sixers. And, um, and we have uh, Tim Krugshank here for the guys. So, yeah, Trent has created a lot of interest, I think, for all clubs. And uh, he will he'll be very quickly snapped up in the draft. And, and, you know, it's awesome to see him. And I'd love to see a way in which we can have more of the top New Zealand players actually available um, for the Big Bash. And I'd love to see if New Zealand Cricket and Cricket Australia could work closely together to really you know, lift the profile of the sport over in New Zealand and here. Well, well that's the thing. And you, you raise a very good point there because there are a number of uh, high-profile New Zealand uh, T20 players. I mean, let's not forget New Zealand were beaten by Australia in the final, the World Cup. Uh, they're a good side, New Zealand, with some hell of a good players who are consigned at that time of the year to uh, the Super Smash League here, Lee, which pays for your groceries, basically. So, I mean, how do you work around that as an individual, but still want to play test cricket and play for your country? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's almost symptomatic of the challenges that cricket faces. And I think New Zealand cricket, because of its size, is going to be um, even more significantly hit than some of our other cricket playing nations around the world um, so that's why you know, we, we um, for example looked at bringing a Sydney Sixers game over to New Zealand this summer but couldn't quite get there um, we'd love to be working with New Zealand cricket and the states to see how we can get the best players playing I'd love for example to see it might it might be a New Zealand team or two New Zealand teams in our competition um, Ian but I'd love to see how we could potentially make that happen uh, I, I mean, I, I think it just has to leave from from uh, our point of view because uh, we just can't compete. Uh, we can't compete. We, we, we've got excellence, but we just can't uh, compete with it financially if you look at those numbers. What about the women's side of it? Uh, you've got a, a, an amazingly successful national women's cricket team. Uh, the profile and the women's big bash, etc. How, how does that apply in, in, in terms of uh, alongside the men? How's that looking? The WBBL is, in some ways, um, the jewel in our crown. Um, it's, it's the opportunity for us to really um, grow significantly. Um, so it's the fourth highest viewed sports league in Australia on TV, which is amazing. So it's above you know, um, A-League football, it's above the NBL basketball, it's standalone, the fourth highest viewed league. Um, and it's got the opportunity to really uh, go further. So um, the WBBL, now also with the women's IPL on the window, um, has the opportunity to really cement itself as a preeminent women's competition. So we've got two clubs, obviously, Thunder and Sixers in that. Uh, the, the remuneration has raised over the last year, but there will be more and more, and rightly so, pressure for pay parity in terms of our uh, women cricketers who are some of the best in the world. Um, and we see it as a wonderful opportunity to promote the game to young girls to play the sport. But more than that, we're seeing young boys and girls being on the boundary signing up for autographs for Alyssa Healy and Elise Perry and players like this. So uh, that's certainly an area that we are focusing on to grow, to grow significantly, both for the participation of the sport, but also in terms of worldwide and the profile of our cricketers. 
the um, on the on the basis of what we've been just talking about for the last 15 minutes, I, I got to ask you an overriding question because you've been a very proud test a very proud test cricketer yourself, an achiever in the, at that level, a captain, etc. Do you fear for test cricket? Uh, I don't um, fear for it at the moment because I think at the moment our current crop of players understand what test cricket stands for and how special it is. Yeah, and you talk to the, the Pat Cummins of this world and they want to play test cricket. They understand its value. My fear is that the crop of players coming through, and it's probably more than 15 to 18-year-olds and younger, uh, will be coming into an environment where they'll see the riches of T20 cricket appealing to them, not really understanding the, you know, the, the proud history and sanctity of test cricket. So I think at the moment it's relatively safe, Ian, but I do fear somewhat for its future and I see it... Being, paid by, being played by less and uh, fewer and fewer countries as well around the world. But we've got to fight tooth and nail to retain Test cricket. And uh, for me, if Test cricket was the only form of international cricket played and the rest was played in world events, um, I'd be very happy with that. Lee Jamon, absolutely brilliant to catch up with you. Uh, glad to hear that things are going well over there and uh, look forward to the outcome of your first uh, ever auction in the BBL. Should be fun anyway. Thanks for your time, Lee. Pleasure, Ian. Thank you. Yeah, cheers, uh, Lee Jamon, who, uh, of course, had a proud history of sport administration and playing within New Zealand and now, of course, a uh, very big factor uh, in New South Wales cricket, which is the uh, Blue Ribbon State of cricket. If you look at their... Uh, the makeup of uh, their Sheffield Shield team, their uh, their various uh, franchises. Um, you know, they are the big boys. And uh, Lee Jamon is uh, the administrator uh, running the cutter. It's 10.20 here on SENZ. Well, women's rugby, of course, is uh, high on the agenda. The World Cup later in the year, but uh, the Black Ferns uh, did an uh, incredibly good job. A uh, big number on uh, Australia the other day, the Wallaroos uh, in Christchurch. But uh, they're back now in Adelaide. Uh, Australia on their home patch and New Zealand have joined them for this game at the Adelaide Oval, uh, game two in the Laurie O'Reilly Trophy, which New Zealand have already regained. Uh, yesterday, uh, a couple of uh, the ladies uh, attended a, a stand-up press conference. Ruby Tui, always a character, and Joanna Nanwu. This is what they had to say. What's the feeling like uh, between you guys? I'm sure conf mm -hmm. confidence is, is quite high. Um, yeah, we're feeling pretty sore. <laughs> we're recovering this the last few days, um, but we're excited for the rest of the week and um, our second test. Yeah, it's and you know, COVID. I know it was a while ago, but it's really cool to be on tour, like on a tour and travelling out the country. We won't get opportunities to do that because it's home World cup. So it's um, yeah, it's a buzz eh, to be able to travel. Pretty grateful. Is there a feeling around the team, especially after a performance like that and, and what you guys have to come, that there's a special feeling within this group that um, building into this year and into the World Cup, you can achieve something special? Oh, absolutely. This is huge, man. I, I don't know if New Zealand gets it yet. This is huge. We can bust open the door of women's rugby and keep dominating our national sport around the world or we can miss it. Um, we this is we're serious about this. We understand how big this is, and you know rugby means so much to each and every one of us. So this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to show the world that you know England's got the next World Cup. It's confirmed, but we're here right now. New Zealand's got this opportunity now. It's up to us. Are we going to take it? You obviously had like Wayne and new coaching team come in, and, and there's been quite a big change in terms of the style of play, the tactics, that kind of thing. How close do you guys as players feel like you are to? to nailing some of those things down that, that he's trying to trying to tweak and change ahead of the cup. 
He's like an absolute genius, eh? Like, actually lives up to his name. But also, the standards are so world-class that I think we've definitely come a long way, but we all want to be better. So you could answer it in two ways. We've come so far in the last few months. Like, we just had a session and it showed that. But also, we all, you know, have so much more to give to. And he loves pressure. You know, all those moments that some people might get scared of. It's like we're learning to just want them and crave them. So it's, it's a double answer. Sorry, it doesn't really answer. But we've come so far and learned so much from this team. But also... Man, I reckon there's a couple of people in this team that are just going to absolutely rip up and just transform and show the world what New Zealand's made of. And just in terms of um, the forwards with Crono, Mike Cron, he's been challenging us on um, doing some different things that we've never done and challenging our skill set. So um, we've just been introduced to some of these things and um, we're just only going to grow, like Ruby said, um, from here and on out. I've just been listening to you and I just sense that, gosh, you have led so much in such a short period of time. You must be almost thinking to yourself, mm-hmm. wouldn't it have been great if we had this opportunity before now to actually get ourselves to this point and beyond so that you really have the ground running when that World Cup came around. Would that be right? No, Nikki, sometimes you can think that but at the same time, I just totally believe everything happens for a reason. And all those other players that have been in this jersey, coaches have added things that people will never know about and never see. So, you know, you could think that. But at the same time, I just think everything's happened as it's supposed to. And, like, the best is yet to come this year because of the way it's happened. So ask me again in December. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, uh, Joanna non, uh, Nanwu there uh, with Ruby Tui, the two voices that you heard uh, representing uh, the Black Ferns in a stand-up presser yesterday. And uh, I don't know, uh, Ruby, I think the New Zealand is starting to get it. I think we're starting to get how big this is going to be at the end of the year. Uh, incidentally, uh, Wes Clark was available to the media yesterday and uh, was put to him that uh, is this the uh, fittest, the fittest Black Fern side ever. Yeah, I'd say we'd be pretty close. Obviously, 2017 World Cup. In World Cup years, we tend to have a bit more, you know, bigger carrot for the players to work for. So, um, yeah, you know, probably pretty normal for me to see in World Cup year um, a bit more competition, players working a little bit harder, very desperate for selection. So, probably similar to 2017, but um, just had a look in the morning, this morning in the gym, and geez, they're working hard. So, um, yeah, I think we're in a great place. Is the next six weeks the ideal prep for you guys for the World Cup, or is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm pretty happy with where we're at. We, we've got some plans for training against men again, um, or having scenarios against boys, you know, might, might be line-out defence, etc. So that's always a good challenge for us. Um, and, you know, there might even be some announcements of other other things happening as well. So um, we've got a plan in place that I think is pretty um, comprehensive. And we're really happy with where the players are at. And, of course, the hubs are going fantastic at the moment. So um, when they go back to their provinces, they're working really hard. We've got great great expertise in the in the provinces as, as well as competition in the provinces so yeah I think we're in a really good space mate yep they're in a good space alright that's uh, assistant coach uh, Wes Clark of course he's been with the Blackburn since 2015 and a very good uh, position uh, Wes has got to just to judge to, as to where they're at over this campaign sounds like they're on the, the right track and of course uh, they're at the beautiful Adelaide Oval with a love for that playing surface and uh, if they get in the mood, they could put another big score on the Wallaroos uh, this weekend.
It is now time for the news with Araha. It is uh, 10.32 here on uh, SENZ, uh, and it's time to talk uh, some basketball. It's been a hell of a good story, to be honest. Uh, and on the back of uh, the Sales NBL, raging success ratings-wise, attendance-wise, um, and, of course, uh, for us personally, the Nuggets for the Otago Nuggets winning uh, under the banner of uh, SENZ. It's uh, been a good time for basketball. We've loved uh, talking about it on this particular station, and we're going to do that again uh, with Hugh Bain, and of course, uh, who is the uh, general manager of uh, the GJ Gardner Homes Tauiwi Basketball League for the first time, Aotearoa. And uh, Hugh, good morning to you. Thank you for your time. Morning, Smithy. Always a pleasure. Yeah, now, OK, first of all, uh, you've had a few things to consider because uh, the grand final uh, weekend, the playoff centre, is, uh, is, uh, was always uh, earmarked for the Trafalgar Centre in Nelson, of course, but Nelson has been under uh, real pressure uh, weather-wise, climate-wise, deluge-wise, uh, but you've made a statement about uh, what's coming up, yeah? Yeah, we have. We certainly have. We're staying in Nelson, full steam ahead down here in, in the top of the south. It's been... Uh, you know, a tough 10 days for people here. I live here myself with my family, and, um, you know, it's not been easy for, for the people of Nelson, but every uh, bit of infrastructure that we'll be using for Tohi has been unaffected, thankfully. The Trafalgar Centre is dry and safe, as are the hotels that uh, all our teams are staying at. And after a few really positive conversations with council, with um, regional development agencies, civil defence and, and local businesses, there was an easy decision in the end, Smithy. You know, it was not only over the past 10 days, but the past three years, right? Um, it's been tough going for, for local businesses around the country. And um, we're here, we're using hotels, we're going to be using uh, restaurants and bars, and, and we're looking forward to putting some smiles back on the faces of Nelsonians after a tough week. Well, sport can do that, can't it? I mean, uh, it's a great way of uh, letting people just, uh, not, not forget, but just take their minds uh, off their issues for a while. It's the ultimate distraction, right? The ultimate distraction in a great way. And whether it's a good or a bad way, if your team wins or loses, um, it takes your mind off, off life for a, for an hour and a half or something. And that's what we're looking forward to doing. And, and more than that, you know, so the mainland Parkai, who are uh, technically Nelson's local team, they're based primarily in Christchurch, but they cover the whole mainland region. Uh, they've arrived early today, as has Yelena Vucinich from the FI, who's a local Nelsonian. She's flown down early to... Um, blitz a whole bunch of schools and do some school visits and some local coaching for some young uh, future Tawthorns and future Toihi players across the Nelson region, uh, which is great. And we've got a few uh, community activations ready to go tomorrow as well before um, before all starts on Friday night. OK, let's uh, look at uh, the weekend that you've got planned on the court then, uh, Hugh. Uh, Friday night, uh, 6 p.m. and 8 p.m., the two respective uh, semi-finals with uh, the Kahu playing uh, the Fai and the Queens, of course, uh, up against the, the side you've just mentioned, uh, the Poakai. Tell us uh, a wee bit about how you break those games down. Yeah, so, I mean, you look at form, you look at uh, regular season standings, you'd be forgiven for going, OK, the Kahu and the Queens are likely to be in the uh, grand final. But uh, final footy, Smitty, you know, anything can happen. Uh, and that, that's certainly the same in Tohi. And we've had some interesting matchups from these teams throughout the season. Kahu will be everyone's favourites, and rightly so. You know, they've got the MVP named today, Talia Tupaya, on their side, and they've lost only one game all season. But they have, and that loss was only a couple of weeks ago, shows they are beatable. Uh, and, you know, they haven't won every game by 30 points. It's been nothing like that. Every game's been a close one. So, um, and will there be a bit of finals nerves turn up as the heavy favourites? Who knows? Um, where if the game's close at halftime, maybe some of those nerves sneak into Jody Cameron's side. We'll see. Um, because that Fi team, 
You know, they put on the performance of the season uh, in Christchurch earlier this year when Tiana Clark hit 11 three-pointers. Um, mm. So they show that on their night, they can beat anyone. That second game, the Queens have finished the season with a hiss and a roar um, on the back of Jamie Nard, who was an MVP candidate and uh, is named in the All-Star 5. But they lost twice in the regular season to the mainland Poakai. Uh, and that'll be weighing on their mind as they come into this one. The Poakai, like I said, semi-home advantage as they're in one of their regional hubs for their franchise, so they'll hope for a lot of support. But I have heard, Smitty, that the Queen's are bringing about 250 fans down from the from Wellington and Manawatu region, uh, which will be great and awesome to see. So uh, we'll see who, who really has the home, home field advantage. So uh, it brings me to um, uh, another issue. Uh, tickets available, and, and uh, you better snap them up if the visitors are coming. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. So toihi.flickit.co.nz uh, or just search Toihi Final Four tickets on, on your search engines and uh, there are some tickets available. You know, we're, we're giving away a fair few to people who have been affected by the um, the flooding and the weather down here in Nelson, which we're really happy to do and uh, welcome anyone who has been affected to come along and, and we'll find them a seat for sure. Uh, but the Trafalgar Centre, you know, one of the great basketball arenas in the country for sure. Beautiful and perfect size for, for Toihi, the Final Four, and it's going to be a great event. I can't wait to see it packed out loud uh, and supporting women's basketball well a number of uh, your awards winners uh, will be on show this weekend as well and uh, along with the five Toei head coaches uh, yourself and uh, Donna Wilkins uh, you have announced the, the full list of award winners including uh, as you say uh, Talia Tapaya from the Kahu as the, the season MVP the inaugural one uh, tell us a, a wee bit about that decision yeah it was close it was close. Um, so it comes down to votes, and all, like I said, all five head coaches plus two independents, including myself, vote. Uh, came down to just a few votes between her and Lena Snyder from the uh, Southern Hoi Ho. Talia, deserved winner, you know. She is physical and aggressive. If you haven't seen her play in the flesh, uh, you know, you start, you start sitting on row one. By the end of the game, you're sitting on row three. Um, she plays a game right to the edge of the laws. Um, but it's thrilling to watch uh, and tough. She is so tough. Uh, a deserved winner. She's put the Kaihu on her back this year. She's had injury troubles in the past. She's got through this season so far unaffected, which is fantastic to see. Um, you know, she's a Kiwi with an Aussie passport. She's played Aussie age group. I know she's trying to work out ways to see where her international future uh, sits, um, but really happy to have her here in Tohi, and it's been a pleasure watching her play. Youth Player of the Year, Florencia Chagas uh, from the Queens. Yeah, I think a few of us were surprised that she's so young, you know, to have an import come in at 21. Now, Florencia, she's an Argentinian international. She came fresh from the Italian league. Um, she was in the conversation for MVP, you know. She would have been, on top of my head, top five or top six vote-getter for MVP. Uh, and then once we realised, gee, she's 21. Um, she qualified for the Youth Player of the Year. And, and you know, up against Sean Robati um, and Grace Hunter, Sean, Sean has had a great season, the uh, niece of Stephen, Stephen Adams uh, up in the FI. Um, and what a future she has. But tough going for, for young Sean this year with uh, Florencia, with an Argentinian international, 21 years old, uh, and playing so well for the Queen. So in the end, that was a relatively comfortable win for, for Chagas. Uh, I look forward to seeing her putting on a show. She always does uh, over the next few days. Well, you've been able to spread the awards around because uh, the Defensive Player of the Year uh, is uh, Nikki Green from the Fire. Yeah, and it shows you the depth and the, the spread of the talent across the competition, which is awesome. Uh, Nikki Green, you know, tall in stature. Um, she is a sight to behold when she walks out onto the court. 
unbelievable physique, unbelievable athleticism, and uh, affects every time, affects every shot that comes her way. So, uh, another close one. We've had some great defenders in the lead. Lena Schneider was up here for that award as well. Uh, Crystal Ledger Walker, Michaela Cox, some some Kiwis in there as well, which is great. But Nikki Green in the end, uh, the deserved winner. Right, let's uh, look at uh, your All-Star 5, which is always interesting. And I've got to say, every time I've watched the Kahu play, Michaela Cox has been absolutely outstanding with her experience. Uh, you've managed to, to put her in there along with uh, Kyra Lambert, uh, obviously Tal Talia Tapaya, uh, Jamie Narid, and uh, Lina Schneider from the Hoiho, which is great to see uh, there with, uh, with uh, some personalities within the group. Yeah, absolutely. Lena Snyder is quite possibly the best player in this league. You know, what a get from the Hoi Hall. Um, it just hasn't come together for the Hoi Hall, but she has been fantastic. She's put that team on her back season uh, throughout the whole season. So I was really happy um, that she got the votes to make the All-Star 5. <clears throat> the other ones, you know, um, for imports, as it were, like I said, Talia with strong links to New Zealand. Uh, and then Michaela. Um, so I was really happy to see a Kiwi, and not just a Kiwi, but a Kiwi legend in Michaela Cox. Over 200 times she's played for the Tall Ferns. What a coup. The, it was the best signing of the off-season, you know, in terms of getting Tall Ferns legend, a bona fide Tall Ferns legend, back to Aotearoa to play basketball. She's never had the chance to play club basketball professionally in New Zealand. Uh, she's had to go overseas and ply her trade and, and take her life over to Australia in the WNBL. So really happy to get her back and uh, really happy she's played so well, as I know the fans of the Kahu are. And Jodie Cameron, of course, uh, head coach of the Kahu, deservedly coach of the year for their record and uh, the way she's been able to pull together her franchise very quickly. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, another Tall Ferns legend in her own right. Um, they The Kahu play just like Jodie played. They don't take uh, any... Uh, anything from anybody, you know, they are hard-nosed, they are aggressive, just like Jody played. Um, you know, it's sporting royalty, the Cameron family, we know that. Um, Jody and brothers Ray and obviously Perro as well. Um, Marta, the, Marta the, the mum up in Northland, is a, is a legend up there as well. So awesome to have Jody involved in our league. You know, I can't wait to see where her coaching career takes her. I'm sure it'll be <laughs> two uh, amazing things. Hugh, on the back of uh, the success of the Sales uh, NBL, um, uh, and this is, the, of course, uh, the, the inaugural season for the, 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 the G.J. Gardner uh, Taui Aotearoa League. I just wonder, uh, has it exceeded expectations for you? You know what, it has, Smithy. It really has. Um, it was, you know, we went in with all, you know, the, the great intentions and what we wanted to achieve from this, and we had, you know, a five-year plan for it to coincide with various deals, and um, to get some players... Yeah, we missed out on some players coming home, some Tall Ferns coming home, but I've heard from all those Tall Ferns this season they can't wait to come uh, next time when they can. So it's been really good. It's been really well received. The crowds have been really good uh, for the most part across the league. Um, Sky TV, obviously, a big stakeholder and a big partner for us are really happy as well, which is um, really pleasing for us. And for me... But, you know, as a, a father of a little girl who, you know, I want to grow up being able to watch women play basketball on TV and in, and in person, not just the men. Um, the most pleasing thing for me is being around the games and being around the players and just seeing how much fun they're having. You know, I picked up Yelena Vucinich this morning from the airport here in Nelson. She, she's a former tour fan. She won a championship with the Nelson Sparks back in the day. And she said this year has just been another level playing for the Fives. Felt like a professional basketball league. And that's all we wanted to provide for our Kiwi players. Uh, and I'm really proud that we've had to do that, uh, that we've been able to do that. And there's more to do, uh, and that'll come over a few years. 
sensational success of both your legs this year, Hugh. We congratulate you for that. Wish you all the best uh, for this finals weekend coming up uh, in the Tauihi League. It, it's been great. Thanks and, and thanks for your time this morning. All the best. Hugh Bainham there, of course, uh, he is the GM uh, of both those leagues. And, uh, yep, uh, real plus uh, on the back of the fact that uh, we all know that basketball is one of the biggest growth sports in the country. Uh, it's nice to know it's growing in the right direction and it's uh, in great hands. 10.45 here on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> And here is the rear end of the horse. Uh, it's uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, with us this morning. Hey, Louis, uh, racing at uh, Topo today on a soft six, and after all the rain, that's not a bad luxury to have. No, that's really good. I didn't actually know that. I hadn't seen. Um, no, that's really impressive, and I'm glad because these races today, mate, are red hot. These fields mm. are super. And I've said that the best two fields of the day are race seven and race eight. Both three-year-old set weights and penalties races, um, and it's great to see some decent prize money up there as well for the Phillies race, forty thousand uh, dollars. Now I know that I choose you is quite popular by the stable, but the drift is telling you otherwise. Meanwhile, the Tiakal runner Dig Noster uh, is absolutely plunged in from fourteens to eight fifty. Funnily enough, the most talented of the lot down the bottom of the book, sitting pretty rock solid at three dollars. Dan Suate, uh, man, there's not a single doubt, Philly. Go watch your trials. F-A-N-S-D-O-U-T-E. Go and have a look at loveracing.nz before you watch your race today. She could be something special. And then in the, the Colts and Geldings race, Bellini, who's Marlborough Bay, who's got a bit of something about him. He's eight into five. There's Alabama Gold. There's Stony Brick. There's Sam Twice. Ripping racing, Philly. Ripping racing, all right. Uh, Son Dute, by the way. My uh, four years of French at Rangatai College. Son Dute, the name of that horse. Um, I can tell you right here and now, uh, Louis. Um, and also, um, tomorrow, I guess we can talk favourably about uh, the Foxbridge Plate coming up this weekend. Yeah, we can. And it's going to be a great one. I've had a look at loveracing.nz at the field that's assembling. Uh, you've got the Sharrick Trifecta. You've got the Darcy LaBella Butler and Tavi Mack back at the races, um, Imperatriz. Hopefully, I know that Hamilton's due to cop a bit of rain tomorrow or Friday. If it doesn't get mm. bad enough, we might even see Catalyst turn up there, Smithy. So, very exciting all round. Big weekend for you then. The darts and the races at Tarapa. Louis Herman Watt will catch up again tomorrow. Thanks very much for your time. Enjoy the dentist. It's 10.53 here on SENZ. And it's a very good morning to uh, Pip Morris uh, with uh, the TAB, of course. And Pip, uh, you've got Greyhound Racing coming out of Palmerston North here, here today being uh, a Wednesday. Anything uh, that you like there, Pip? Good morning, Smithy. You certainly do. Look, I'm not having the best run, I'll admit, but I'm hoping I can bounce back today. I like Big Time Joy to win in the distance race. She's been beating similar fields week in, week out, Smithy. She's drawn the eight. She was around 2.4. I see she's in $2.00. Happy to play her as the best. I really like a dog as a long shot. I think he's a nice each-way play in race seven. He's resuming for the Gary Fredrickson and Sandra Kennel there. Highview, Toby, his name is. He's actually quite a quality dog. Just kind of tapered off, coming back in fresh. He's 12 into 10 distance and around 250, I believe, for the play. So I think he's well worth a one over three kind of bet. And then just quickly on Tolpo today, we've got power plays available on every race. And the best
stats in race number one. Non so bad, Smithy, and none so bad. Fits yep. odds winners in a four hundred dollar bet on that at three sixty. And no deductions from spring. Head to the punters lounge on tab.co.nz to check out all the information there on a really nice profile. Pip Morris, thank you very much. Uh, as always, with uh, your update on the greyhounds, your word is God for me, so I'll be back in it. Um, and uh, we've got uh, interesting next hour coming up as well. We've got a, we've got a panel consisting of uh, Jamie Wall and Kimberly Downs. Uh, we've also got uh, some rural roundup to talk with uh, in terms of uh, Andy Thompson as well. And then, of course, we'll hand over to staff at midday. Busy hour. Stay with us. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. And our panellists this morning, I'm very pleased to say, are uh, Jamie Wall, uh, a regular and, of course, uh, a voice well-known to us here on SCNZ. Kimberly Downs, who does uh, the Friday show with Beeve, takes us into the weekend. Uh, good morning to both of you, uh, Kimberly. I guess uh, we could probably just use up the whole segment by saying Taranaki beat Canterbury at Pukakura Park and let, let you go. Uh, look, that's a decision you've made. Uh, and I'm very happy to go with that, Smithy. Good morning. Yeah, it was a great weekend for us. Uh, what made it even sweeter, in fact, was that I happened to be in Christchurch over the weekend uh, with the kind oh. of extended Canterbury in Lofano, Uh And that was satisfying, to say the least. But I've been, I, I felt very vindicated because I've been harping on and on, obviously, after the terrible start that Taranaki had to the season about what yes. a difference it would make when Stephen Perifesia finally got to play for them again. Uh, and I was, yeah, delighted, delighted to see that come to fruition uh, at Kukakura Park as well, which, as you know, I'm a big fan of, regardless of uh, the negative attention that it's been getting of late. Well, of course, on the back of uh, renaming the competition the Neil Barnes competition because he finally got his way and then he couldn't get a win early. What happened? <laughs> Look, you know, sometimes good things, they just take time, time to build. That's all right. A lot of youth, a lot of new faces. And doesn't it just make it sweeter, Smithy, when your team starts poorly, people write them off, and then they come back for a win like that? Certainly made it sweeter in my household. <laughs> I, 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 sorry, I don't know, Kimberly. I'm from Hawke's Bay. <laughs> wow, we are getting into this nice and early. I'll see you for a field challenge at some point. <laughs> yeah, hope, hopefully you will. Uh, Jamie Wall, good morning to you. Uh, Jamie, can you just um, reiterate, I'm sure you've told us in the past, that just uh, can you just re enlighten us on your particular province of choice and how they're going? <laughs> Uh, yeah, good morning, Smithy, and good morning, Kim. Um, thanks for subjecting me to this so early in, uh, early in the day. Um, but yes, uh, not a great weekend for my team. Um, on that game you were just mentioning before, I mean, obviously it's two problems I, I dislike immensely. Um, and the only thing I can really say about that game is I'm glad they got wet and cold. So, uh, <laughs> and the same thing happened to Wellington uh, over the weekend. Um, they, of course, lost. Uh, it's another season of just what I like to call the Chamber of Horrors that is supporting supporting Wellington. Um, it's a lifelong curse I've I've had to endure. Um, many others have as well. Uh, and the only good thing about it is that uh, it, it makes some good jokes on, on social media. Um, and as for Hawks Bay, well, I hope that their um, their shield reign ends pretty soon. Um, it's about time the shield started moving again. Um, of course, they are facing North Harbour uh, in a few days, um, so it probably isn't going to be going anywhere because they can't they couldn't win a raffle if they bought all the tickets. Um, so, yeah, good times in provincial rugby. 
Oh, I tell you, the engraver in Hawkspace, uh, I, I must say, he's got the easiest job in the world because all he has to do is just put ditto signs under it. I mean, uh, you know, just can just front up every morning, that's it. But, uh, Jamie, um, let's get a little bit more international, shall we, with our rugby. Um, and uh, Kimberly brought up a good subject, actually, uh, Stephen Perifetta. And now uh, that leads to me to, uh, we're here, Bowden Barrett left training um, yesterday. So that's not a good sign for him on the back of the uh, concussion issues that he had in uh, South Africa, I'm supposing here, not uh, with any voice of uh, absolute certainty. Perifetta a chance this weekend. And what about uh, other strategies for Ian Foster? Well, I, I just think so, that he'd, he'd be in line for a debut. I mean, he's obviously been waiting uh, for, for a while now. Um, but I, I feel like he was going to be used in one of these team, these two tests regardless. Uh, obviously, the All Blacks have quite a lot of options at the back there because, uh, you know, obviously Will Jordan um, can play there as well. We saw Seba Reese have a, have a game there for Tasman um, on, the, on the weekend. Uh, so it's not like that kind of down, he, he's, he's a last resort or anything. But, you know, with all due respect to Argentina, playing them at home is when the All Blacks generally try out their, their new guys. So I think that this was always kind of the plan for him anyway. Uh, Barrett, Bowden Barrett, uh, missing out, has uh, is an interesting one in that, to me, it doesn't particularly actually affect them much at all. I've always been of the opinion that uh, the All Black selectors kind of just need to make a call on whether it's him or Richie Mawanga who they're going to go with and play them at 10, and if one's in the team, the other one's watching, basically. So I think that uh, Richie's probably going to, you know, get his chance in front of his home crowd down in Christchurch. And I heard him speak earlier about how special and important that is that is to him. And it must be for the for the guys who are from Christchurch because you know it's obvious they they don't get a chance to play there for the All Blacks very often. So. Mm. It's a logical choice uh, as well as an emotional one um, for Richie to be starting uh, this test and for Peter Peter to be coming off the bench. Um, and then, of course, it does, it does kind of leave another question mark over what exactly they're doing with Roger Tuivasa-Shek because it's going to come down to one of those two uh, on the reserve bench, you'd think. Okay, interesting there. Um, overall, though, uh, Kimberly Downs, I think it's uh, very interesting. Uh, all of a sudden, there's a new sort of um, aura over the top of the All Blacks after that win in South Africa, shall I say that. One, we're not talking about uh, the coaching issue anymore. Joe Smith's come in, and there's almost uh, a sense around the media in particular, uh, as opposed to anyone else, that everything's back on track in a nice, smooth sort of a way. Is that the way you perceive it, that the Joe Smith presence and the, the heat off uh, Foster? I'm not so sure it's heat off Smithy or the aura in as much as it might feel like there's been a, a relaxing of pressure more so just because we finally know that regardless, Ian Foster is going to be there through to the World Cup now. And so I think a lot of that kind of accumulating pressure in that sense that we've had over the Ireland series and the South Africa tour were in part related, aside from the losses, obviously, uh, were in part related to that ongoing uncertainty around Foster and his job and whether he was going to stay and whether NZR were backing him. And I think, for me, the turning point came when they finally, 
uh, had that press conference recommitting to him in a way uh, through to the World Cup. So I think that probably has a bit to do with that um, kind of, I guess, perceived relaxation around the media and things because his job currently is not on the line, whereas it has been for the last few weeks leading into this. Whether or not as well there's, uh, I guess, a, a, a little bit like Jamie says, traditionally when Argentina come here, it's a time to test new combinations and to have a look at different players and things like that. I'm a little bit wary of that, personally. Um, they did just come off, of course, a very good win against Australia, and I don't think that um, it is wise to assume that all of the All Blacks problems are fixed in the space of a couple of weeks with one really, really fantastic as it was win. So I think there's kind of probably time now in the next couple of weeks to take a bit of a pause and kind of see if we can spot signs of that consistency that had been absent for a while, regardless of who is actually selected to play. But certainly in terms of the heat being off a little bit, yeah, I would I would agree with you there. Okay. Um, Jamie, um, your take on, on that perhaps, and also um, negotiations apparently uh, between uh, RA Rugby Australia and, uh, and us, New Zealand Rugby, over the future of uh, Super Rugby. Uh, it always just seems to be up in the air, Super Rugby, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, that's true. But just, just quickly on the All Blacks, one thing that we all said before this season started was about the first five tests of the season because it was an incredibly tough start for the All Blacks and we all came out with our predictions on what their record would be uh, at the end of it. And generally, the general consensus was at best three and two and a lot of two and threes in there and whether that was good enough for Foster to retain his job. Now we're in an interesting position where we're looking at the last eight and how many what the record by the end of the year is going to look like for us to be convinced that this is the right selection. Because right now, you could look at these eight tests and you can say, well, the All Blacks, they're not going to lose all eight of them. But they're probably not going to win all eight of them either. And which of these is going to be seen as, you know, how we say in, uh, when they, the All Blacks play in South Africa is kind of an acceptable loss. Because the most the most one that's likely going to be the toughest is England at Twickenham, and that's the last test of the year. And if the All Blacks go into yet another season losing the last test of the year, we're going to have another big long summer of talking about it. So mm. there's there's that. Um, your point about Super Rugby, though, uh, yeah, again, it's this kind of ongoing drama. It is kind of interesting and it's kind of amusing because uh, it, it's definitely a power play thing by Rugby Australia because. They do have a bit of leverage in the situation because they do have a World Cup coming up and they do have to kind of get people talking about it and about rugby union again because, of course, they, you know, they're in a very condensed and competitive sporting market. So any news for them that puts them in the paper is, is good news. And Hugh McLean, the Rugby Australia chief, knows that. And he's found an easy target in being able to kind of just push Mark Robinson around. Um, this doesn't make New Zealand rugby look good at all. The, the likelihood of Rugby Australia actually going alone is, is pretty minimal. There is a possibility there if they could somehow jag some sort of broadcast deal because that was uh, that that's what it all hinges on. But it would be kind of foolish because they have, uh, for, for the first time in Super Rugby, you have a very fan-friendly product in that you can have games starting on both sides of the Tasman at reasonable times and finishing at reasonable times 
um, and you don't have this prospect of teams from New Zealand and Australia playing a run of home games and then disappearing off to South Africa, uh, where they fall out of the media cycle, they fall out of the public consciousness. And especially for Australian teams, you have this issue of them, their fans just going and watching rugby league or AFL uh, for that time and not getting back interested in them again. So I, I don't think from their point of view, it's a particularly logical thing for them to go and start talking about going it alone, especially because if they did, they would end up with some form of super rugby-like competitions anyway just to fill in the gaps in their, in their schedule. Like, you would have those teams playing one another and we'd have we'd have a situation where it was like Super Rugby Aotearoa followed by Super Rugby Trans-Tasman. So the, the, the reality is, is that these two organisations need each other. And there's no, as much as they don't like one another at times, it's kind of mm. like a relationship that just needs to, needs to continue. Yeah, it's, it's like, um, it's, it's an incredible relationship. It's like actually just an extension of on the field, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Uh, it just carries on off the field. Uh, Kimberly, where do you sit with uh, how you think the Black Ferns are looking? Uh, Wayne Smith's unbeaten. They looked so impressive and demolishing the Wallaroos at the moment. But in the back of your mind, are you still sort of sitting, waiting till they're severely tested, particularly up front? Uh, yes. Yes, I am. And unfortunately, that severe test is not going to come until the World Cup. Um the Black Ferns at the moment have definitely shown signs for us to be optimistic. You know, the attacking flair that you can see what, what Wayne Smith is trying to inject. The team is obviously extremely on board with what he and the coaching staff are trying to do, and they have shown improvement certainly throughout the year. Um, I just, not to be uh, too much of a grumbler, but the Wallaroos are not a good team, and I don't think we can judge too much on performances against them because historically we have always thrashed them um, and so it's, it's optimistic signs but with a grain of salt that this is uh, not probably the test they necessarily need going into a World Cup and unfortunately they are probably not actually going to get that um, and the biggest test will come when those nations, the France and England, come down here uh, and they're playing as part of this World Cup. So it's, it's optimistic signs without wanting to get too carried away. I think they're in a better position uh, than they have been probably the last couple of years and in a position where you can look at them now and go, OK, genuinely, we could contend here, but we've also got to bear in mind that the English particularly... Uh, have shown time and time again how dominant they are up front, how physical mm. they are, how strong they are, and what they can do on a rugby field. And they have just had much longer um, to have that investment on the domestic front and the international game time as well against harder competition uh, to get themselves into a position where they, regardless of, of what happens with the next Black Ferns test, will still enter this World Cup as the favourites. Uh, so that will just, I mean, it'll be intriguing. Certainly, it will be fascinating to see how the Ferns' outfit goes when they do eventually come up against them. But like I say, I am taking uh, taking optimistic signs from the performances that they've had this year. I just wish, I really wish that there were some more competitive, uh, highly competitive matches on the calendar before we got to the World Cup. Uh, unofficial mayoress too, uh, by the way, of New Plymouth. We're talking to folks here in uh, Kimberley Downs. So, Kimberley, I've got to ask you this question. 
what the hell are you going to do about cricket at Pukakura Park? I am starting my petition to the council to invest for whatever they need there. I mean, if the facilities aren't good enough, upgrade them. My fear is that if New Zealand cricket were to make good on this, let's call it a threat, um, to remove cricket from Pukekura Park, my fear is that it just wouldn't come back once you've lost it, whether it will be mm. gone for good. And it is the, the reality is, from a spectating point of view, I know we have a good laugh about it because the boundaries are tiny, facilities clearly are not up to scratch. Um, but from a spectator point of view, it is fantastic. I have so many great memories going there, watching cricket, uh, watching CD when I was younger, when I was growing up there. And it would be such a shame to lose that, particularly in a province which doesn't have a huge amount of that level of sport going on because, you know, the Chiefs don't exactly <laughs> go there a lot. Um, and mm. so that for me would be quite crushing if they were to take it away. And I do think that the council just needs to bite the bullet here and step up and give them whatever they need. If they can find their however many million, tens of millions, uh, to rebuild Yarrow Stadium, then they can find a bit of money to put in proper facilities for a couple of domestic cricket teams to come out and play there. Aside from the fact there would be a hell of a place for wedding photos too, wouldn't it? The main wicket block at Pukakura Park, being a couple of sports fans. Um, you're not look, you're not wrong there actually. I hadn't thought of that one. I've I've been to a few weddings at Pukakura Park in my time, but hadn't considered my own, funnily enough. Um, look, I'll, I'll take that under advisement. My concern though, uh, Smithy, would be that you know all going well, there'll be cricket being played. When, yeah. When we're uh, well, married, I think. So. That... There pro probably will be for uh, a little while, but uh, long term it doesn't look good, Kimberly. So you get that permission going, and I'll be one of the first uh, signatures on it. I promise you that, uh, Jamie. Uh, it's 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 the Basin Reserve, really. I mean, it's the Basin Reserve of Taranaki, and uh, you'd have spent. Uh, uh, I'd hate to think we, uh, you could lose the Basin Reserve. There was talk about the Basin Reserve being ploughed down for traffic reasons, etc. But we couldn't lose the Basin, as we can't lose Pukakura. Yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned the basin because I was just about to um, suggest it to Kimberly and Ollie because I know he's listening um, that that would be a much better wedding venue for for, for both of you and the pictures have come out much much nicer because it you know it's actually the proper size, um, not at a ground where I have someone like me could get a half century um, by just hanging my bed out there. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I do remember the the outcry um, when Wellington. Uh, the Wellington City Council did float plans to put a fly over uh, the Basin Reserve or, or bowl it for a, for a road directly through um, the tunnel. Um, having travelled that route from the airport back into Wellington now, um, I can kind of see where they were coming from um, because <laughs> yeah. it's just a constant tra traffic jam now. Um, but I will say this, I mean, you know, people power. Um, people in Wellington stood up uh, for their iconic uh, venue um, clearly, people in New Plymouth aren't as passionate as, as Wellingtonians are about their sport, because um, otherwise, Pukekura Park could still be a cricket room. Okay, fair enough. Uh, nice little dig there. A nice little dig and a nice little punch and a nice little counter punch to end the panel today. Thank you very much to Jamie Wall and to Kimberly Downs. Of course, you'll hear Kimberly on Friday uh, with uh, Stephen Donald on the drive home from four o'clock onwards. So, uh, look forward to that. Thanks, folks. Uh, very entertaining and uh, very enlightening as well, I think it's fair to say. It's 11.22 here on SCNZ. We'll have another panel tomorrow morning. Take a short break, and when we come back, uh, maybe a chance for uh, to read out a couple of your texts.
Had some uh, texts come in on our text line, uh, of course, double eight double three, courtesy of uh, Temper, and uh, we're grateful to their support. Um, Richie has said, uh, "Come on, Hugh, talking to Hugh Bainan, the Kahu losing only one game during the season is fake news. The Queens have beaten the Kahu the last two times they've played. Come on, the Queens," says Richie from uh, Upper Hutt. Uh, Paddy says, "Hey, Smithy, I watched the uh, BBL since uh, day one." And uh, love it. It's probably my favourite cricket tournament around the world. I've said for years we need to put two New Zealand teams in their comp. Something Lee Jamon just said. Base one in Tasmania and one in Brisbane. Victoria New South Wales already have two teams. And with the time zones, Perth is out of the question. Have a Southern Storm and a Northern Nighthawks team picked from the South and North Island. Paddy, what a hell of a concept that is. Uh, You've obviously put a lot of thought into it. I like watching the BBO. I love the way it's presented. Uh, I, I feel as if I know a lot of the players involved in that. And I, I, I look at the New Zealand equivalent of it, um, and it's a victim, really it is a victim, of uh, because we just can't match it financially. We simply can't. It would have been great, wouldn't it, uh, to be able to, to put up a league and then put up millions and millions of dollars to attract great players to come here. Then the ratings would go through the roof. Then the crowds would turn up in their numbers. Uh, but at the moment, we are very much second fiddle. I'm not sure we're ever going to be able to match it financially. And that, at the end of the day, is what it's all about. And that is a damn shame. So, um, yeah, I, I, f- I feel a wee bit for New Zealand cricket in, in that capacity, trying to put that product forward uh, when you're up against um, now uh, the UAE, you're up against uh, the, uh, the BBL, and you're up against South Africa as well. How can you possibly, how can you possibly compete with the numbers that they have to come up with themselves? Uh, even Australia is struggling, as we heard. Uh, Mikey, uh, hi Smithy, if uh, Cam Smith and others do go for these eye-watering amounts of money on the uh, Live Tour, what does it mean for their caddies? In theory, they would be some of the highest paid people in the golf in the world, uh, outside of the golfers themselves. Isn't Cam uh, Cam's caddy a Kiwi? Yes, he is. It's Sam Pinfold, he's uh, based, um, when he's not on tour, he, he bases himself uh, in the Kapiti area around Paraparaumu. And uh, I'll be honest with you, um, I don't know what the deals are. With uh, and caddies and their individuals, theoretically, um, it's a ten percent sort of figure being thrown around for donkeys years now. That ten percent of their earnings. I don't know if they get sign-on fees or any guarantees in that. I mean, for goodness' sake, if your player doesn't make any money throughout a, a year, um, you still got to get some money or you're recompensating yourself. But in terms of live, that would be a different sort of uh, can of worms. There, um, I wouldn't think for one second that Cam Smith's going to say to Sam Pinfold, right? We're off to live golf. We're going to make a lot of money. I've been signed on for $140 million, and you're getting 10% of that. Here's your $14 million. I mean, um, I don't think that would happen. I mean, it would be a hell of a generous man to do that. But, um, you know, what's the difference between, you know, what's $10 million when you've got $140 coming in? Uh, I, I don't know. I'll be perfectly honest with you, um, Mikey. I, I don't know what the arrangements are, but you're dead right in summing that up. The caddies, um, uh, they fly under the radar. They're not targets for anyone. Uh, they're not victims. They're not turning their back on anything. All they are is just doing uh, what they do best, and that's uh, caddy for a golfer who has chosen to, to go against uh, the institutional way of th- doing things. So uh, they're never going to be villains, caddies, and you're right. Some of them could make an absolute fortune by staying faithful to the player rather than to the tour. It's uh, 11.31 here on SENZ. Um, well now we'd like you to call up uh, and try and win... Uh, 50 bucks worth of TAB product, and that is money, of course. Uh, here on 0800 150 811. Robbie will take your calls. It's not his birthday today, so he'd just be in a normal mood. 
And Brian Rarity, Brian Rarity will be actually um, the quiz master today here on Stump Smithy. Here's the news with Araha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. <laughs> yes, it's that time of the day where we try to give away some bonus bets, $50 worth to be exact today, from the good folks over at the TAB. Um, oh, it's Stump Smithy. We all know how the game works. We've got the phone lines loaded. Smithy, how are you feeling today? Yeah, look, we're we're playing for fifty bucks, and uh, you know I, I'm kind of confident. Actually, I got done yesterday on the Richie McCall one. That was um, a really um, bad result for me all round. But um, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to taking on somebody today. Who have you got uh, lined up first of all, Brian? And what are we talking uh, in terms of categories today? Yeah, all right. So first up, we have uh, at the crease opening the batting today is Billy from Auckland. Hey, Billy, the three topics are cricket, tennis, and basketball. How you doing, mate? And what would you like to go with? Good morning, Brian. Uh, really tricky as always. Cricket's my trump card, but obviously it's Smithy's too. So uh, why not? I'll take him on. Cricket, please. Oh, beauty. We've got to love it when people do this. All right, then. Here we go. <clears throat> Very topical, these questions as well. New Zealand, oh, let me just turn that down a bit more. So first question, here we go. New Zealand and West Indies first played in 1975 at the Oval. Who captained the Kiwi side that day? 75. Whoa. Uh, geez, I'm, I'm a, it's not my generation, so forgive me if it's a completely wrong, but how about Jeff Howarth? Oh, great guess, but... One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. It's gone through to the keeper, Smithy. Yeah, well, um, I think they, you said the first time they played, they actually played a lot before that in Test cricket, but I think you've, this is the first World Cup oh, game they played, yeah. uh, first one-day international they played, Brian. So, yeah. um, And I, I'm, I'm tossed up between uh, two here. Um, I'm tossing up between Bevan Congdon and Glenn Turner. Um and um, I'm not 100% sure, but if Bevan Congdon was on that tour, I would be thinking Bevan Congdon would be the captain. Is that your final answer? Bevan Congdon. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket You quite team. often shoot yourself in the foot, Smithy. You go between two of them, and sometimes you go for the wrong one. Yeah, the correct answer is Glenn Turner. Oh, God. Okay, fair enough. Uh, nice. Now, uh, yeah, he's still alive. You're still alive, Billy. So the second question. <laughs> New Zealand and the West Indies have played 67 ODIs with the Windies leading head-to-head with 31 victories. How many ODI wins do the Black Caps have over the men from the Caribbean? Oh, um, I don't know if there's been any ties. Uh Look, I'll go. Uh, well, I've lost. I've lost my maths. Twenty-eight. I'm wrong, but um, one of the that. worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. And it's through to the keeper. Oh, Brian. Um, look, I don't know how many um, rainouts there's been, and I, I, there also um, the fact that a matter of uh, there's been no ties. I don't think we've ever tied with the West Indies. So it's games that. Uh, we're not complete, I would imagine, uh, but we're still recorded as games. 
Um, I'll go 26. New Zealand won 26. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on yeah. a cricket field. Well, as of Monday, that we've won 29. Oh, no. 29. Yeah, so if, oh, if, Billy was, if we had Billy gone into close. this competition and done a clean sweep, we would have equaled at the end of this, but uh, it's, it's, it's not going to happen for our boys. Okay, so we're up to the third and final question for all the chocolates today. Uh, cricketing great Brian Lara has scored the most runs of any individual between the two uh, ODI playing nations. Uh, he has a score of 1,068 runs. Now, of all the Kiwis and Windies to have ever played each other in ODI format, who do you think sits second on the most runs scored list? Oh, God. That's a good one. Um, I'm going to have to go Martin Gupta here. That big 200 at the World Cup might help his average. One of the worst things I have that ever was seen a great guess, mate. on a cricket field. But oh, unfortunately, it's through guess. to the keeper. Great guess. Okay, so we have to go. It's a West Indian player. Um, I'm tossing up here. I, mean, I, I remember Desmond Haynes was absolutely prolific against us for a long period of time, but we have played a lot of cricket since he retired, which means it probably it won't be uh, Desmond Haynes. I can't think that it's a New Zealander, uh, to be perfectly honest. Um, so I'm going to go a little bit, uh, a little bit out of the square here, and go for Chivnarain Chandapur. One of the worst things I have ever seen. Oh, done on a that was my first guess as well, and everyone I asked that was their first guess, but the correct answer is the Universe boss Chris Gale. <laughs> oh no! Oh jeez, Chris Boss. Yeah, with w- one thousand and twenty-six runs. VR yeah, Lara is 1,068. Yeah, I suppose uh, I suppose that's good. I, I I don't know if you feel that good about winning a, a prize courtesy of Chris Gale, uh, Billy, but you've done it. Congratulations. Um, and uh, stay, stay on the line. Rob, Robbie will get your details and uh, we'll get that money to you as soon as possible. You, you chose cricket and because I'm at, it's an overrated theory that I know a lot about cricket, to be perfectly honest. The stats, stats side of it... Um, they just don't interest me at all, to be perfectly honest. Uh, hey, so, Billy, well done. Congratulations. Have a great day, mate, and spend the 50 well. Hey, thanks, gentlemen. Pleasure. Yeah, cheers. Uh, to Chris and to Luke, who were waiting in line, uh, get back on the line to, tomorrow. We'll be up for, for another 50 bucks uh, around about 11.30, uh, and we'll uh, take a short break, and when we come back, we'll uh, join up with Andy Thompson, of course, for his Rural Roundup show. It is 11.47 here on SENZ, and of course, uh, being Wednesday, uh, we have a rural roundup show between 12 and 1 uh, on all frequencies except for Auckland and Wellington, which incorporates uh, a lot of our rural areas, um, and Andy Thompson, of course, is the host of that. Uh, Andy, good morning to you. Uh, I guess it's last uh, time last week we were talking about the dangers that were still prevalent around the coast area, which you're very much part of in Hokitika. Uh, but now we're talking, of course, clean-up, and that includes the rural sector too. Yeah, mate. Uh, g'day, Smithy. Yes, exactly. Um, our northern cousins, uh, well, from where I am here in Greymouth and uh, in, in Marlborough, uh, particularly the Rye Valley Hira area, they have been absolutely smashed. Uh, quite a bit of damage also over in Takaka and Golden Bay. I've been talking to some farmers up there. But uh, the damage, I think, um, in that road through the Whangamoa through to uh, the Rye Valley, and I know farmers there, uh, tremendous, tremendous damage. Some of them, um, the only way that they can milk their cows, uh, they had 
to fly in uh, repairs actually to the cow sheds. The cow sheds were completely flooded oh. underwater, so they helicoptered in. 48 hours it took for some of those farmers to actually be able to milk their cows, and we know what that means. They've got a whole lot of issues with mastitis, um, but they're getting through it, and the support in those communities obviously is fantastic. In fact, uh, part of the show today, we're going to talk to Shannon Parnham from Ansco. He's the head of uh, Livestock, and we're going to talk about some, some support uh, for those farmers um, from around the country. And I know South and Federated Farmers is looking to move and feed uh, to support those guys and girls up there. What about stock casualties? How do they appear um, there? Been pretty, been pretty light, Smithy. I've seen some reports of, of stock getting washed away, but then they ended up uh, in the um, on other farms and then got moved back. So uh, I think they've got off pretty well when it comes to uh, stock casualties. It was well, it was well sort of flagged that this event was going to occur, uh, and farmers mm. did have the opportunity to move their stock to higher ground. But I mean, we saw that in the Buller situation. I think it was 12 months ago when the Buller River flooded and. That whole herd of up to 1,200 cows got, got washed away. The farmer had moved the, his stock to as high a point as he could. It still wasn't enough. But uh, I think in the Rye Valley here area, uh, it hasn't been too bad for that. In terms of, uh, you know, uh, the, the seasons for, uh, for lambing, uh, for calving, etc., just a bit early for that down there or not? Was that impacted? Uh, no, that no, they're well and truly into calving. One farmer okay. um, that I was talking to is a third of the way through. Uh, so you don't have your entire herd in at the moment. Um, what are we today? Get the date, 24th. Uh, plans start a calving for those guys in that area. Could be around about the 1st of um, the first of August, sometimes uh, late July. So some of them will be a, a reasonable way through, some of them up to a halfway through by now. So uh, right. too early for lambing. Um, there will be right. some spring lambs around, but, but the main lambing is probably more early September uh, for those guys in that area as well. But, uh, yeah, still a massive, massive inconvenience. I mean, they just can't get their milk out. There's no tankers been in there since for right. a week now. So, you know, it's just a massive problem. And I don't know how long it's going to take, Smithy. That road um, through from Nelson, uh, through they can take it out through to Blenheim, I guess, so which is the least affected. Okay, right. Okay, Andy, uh, sad news, but obviously uh, the hardy people and they'll they'll get through it in the end with uh, the assistance that they should get from government levels, etc. Uh, what else is uh, on your show today, Andy? Oh, we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about alternative proteins and uh, why it seems to get farmers so hot and bothered every time someone mentions an alternative protein or an oat milk chocolate. Everyone seems to jump up and down as if it's the end of the world as we know it for agriculture. So uh, we're going to talk to two or three people about that. We're going to talk to Head of Insight uh, for NZX, uh, Julia Jones. We're going to catch up with John Hart. Um, he's actually a farmer, and he, he's growing insects for food. So we're going to talk to him. And then a uh, Southland Farm consultant, uh, Dean Carson. We're going to have our Rural Hero of the Week. Looking forward to that. And Brendan Telfer. Got him on the show as well, a little bit of sport. So uh, plenty on the show to come. Look forward to it, Andy, and that uh, is coming up between 12 and 1, uh, folks, on all frequencies except for Auckland and Wellington. Uh, Andy Thompson, uh, have a good week. Thank you. Thanks, Mitty. Cheers. Uh, listen to our Brandy there, um, and if uh, you're not listening to Andy, then you'll be listening, uh, of course, to uh, Mark Stafford, of course, uh, in the uh, Auckland and Wellington areas, and we'll talk to Staffy very shortly about what's coming up on his show as well. It is 11.56 as we charge through to midday and of course uh, Mark Stafford has his uh, show going uh, this afternoon and uh, we did, I uh, wanted to speak to you yesterday Tess Stafford, we ran out of time in terms of uh, four officials that you uh, 
hated most over the years, and of course I know it'd be top of the tree for you. Bill Adler. Um, and yeah, he got on mine. Don't worry, he got yeah, on mine. Good boy. Yeah, and and second, would it be Bill Adler? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did I tell you the story about Bill Adler's? Uh, I think it was niece. Um, my girlfriend was looking for a flat and found one in Fielding, so I went and had a look at it with her. And uh, we sort of walked in, and it was quite a nice house, a you know, four-bedroom house. And um, and I introduced myself, and she said her name was Christine Adlam. And I said, are you related to Bill? And she goes, yeah, that's my uncle. Grabbed my girlfriend and said, you're not living here. <laughs> Could have had a heated pool and everything in the spa, but no didn't, good, eh? Didn't care. Didn't care you're not living here. <laughs> Oh, God, the things that we look back on. Um, Steph, let's look forward then. Steph, what have you got today in terms of Midnight Madness? <laughs> well, Midnight, yeah. Midnight Madness, that'd be fun. Jeez, yeah, it could have and a, Midday Madness too. Yeah. No, midday we'll go Midday. Um, we're just going to sort of uh, postulate about, it's quite a long subject, but basically what should our rugby season look like? I've always said that we've got club, we've got NPC, we've got Super Rugby, and we've got All Black Rugby International. I feel like four should be three and if you look at the Premier League in the UK they like you have Liverpool yes they play in a lot of competitions but it's one team and Mm. and then they have England and that's it and it's quite easy to follow and with the threat or the prospect of maybe Australia leaving Super Rugby what should our rugby season look like How, how would it look and would you be prepared to invest in a massive domestic game like the Premier League at the cost of the All Blacks at the other end at the moment, it's all about All Blacks and the ones underneath are suffering, in my view. Mm, interesting. Uh, I wouldn't, to me, um, uh, I'd quite like to t- experiment with it. Mm. I, I, you know, I, I'd quite like the, the look of it. I, you know, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when it was the heart and soul, when it was everything, when it was the stepping stone to the All Blacks, when it was, you know, the, the be all and end all. Um, and, uh, you know, everyone's heart and soul was in their provincial team. Don't have a problem with that at all, Steph. Mm. At all. Mm-mm. Got Frankie Degas on the show today, uh, Argentinian oh. rugby man. He'll yep. be fantastic. And Aidan Rodley, uh, he's a jockey agent, he's a presenter, he's written a book, uh, good voice on racing. Um, and we're only three hours today, Smithy, uh, because running it straight will be three to four with Sam and Kempe. So it'll be a good Wednesday afternoon for listeners. Good on you, Steph. Have a great show. And uh, to all you people in there, uh, enjoy uh, Steph this afternoon from 12 to 3 and then uh, those other two roosters. Uh, <laughs> but uh, as far as uh, we're concerned, thank you very, very much to Brian, to Robbie uh, and to Araha. Have a terrific Wednesday afternoon. See you tomorrow morning at 9. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91